Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. I'm excited to welcome my friend Aaron Borsima for a conversation today on the podcast to chat about how we can use an art form like poetry to disrupt our thinking and unlock creativity in the workplace and in our lives. I first came across Arend as a speaker at Disrupt HR events in Philadelphia. I've linked to both of his unique five-minute Disrupt HR talks in the show notes, and I'd encourage you to check them out. Arend describes himself as an HR leader, a hip-hop fanatic, a spoken word poet, a writer, and an eternal optimist. Having lived in various countries and cultures around the world, he embraces his diverse identity as a global citizen and utilizes his passions and experience to unlock creativity and to think differently about work and life. During the pandemic, Arend found solace in writing and capturing his experiences through spoken word poetry, and this creative expression culminated in the publication of his book, Poetry at the Heart of Business. He's a firm believer that poetry can help leaders to think creatively and engage in writing as a means of self-expression. I hope our conversation today sparks something in you and inspires you to use poetry, hip-hop lyrics, or some other form of art that you may be passionate about to engage your own creativity and self-expression in your leadership journey going forward. Well, welcome to the Impact Makers podcast. Aaron, how are you doing today? I am great today. Thank you for uh, having me, Jennifer. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversations today. Fantastic. Well, why don't we start with a little bit? Tell us who you are, what you do, and maybe what you're all about. All right. Um, so a little bit about myself. I often introduce myself because the accent gives it away as uh, not an, an uh, U.S. born and, and raised person. I have uh, lived a bit all over the place, but my nationality is Dutch. Both my parents are Dutch. I um, spent the majority of my childhood in both the Netherlands and in Belgium, but uh, my parents were missionaries. So I was born in Indonesia, lived in Haiti for a while, um, then went to the Netherlands, lived in a couple of different places to Belgium. And then after that, you know, studied in Ireland and eventually moved from Belgium to Rochester, New York, upstate New York, and um, lived in Philadelphia for the last, I would say, six to seven years. So the, that's a, a bit about myself. And then work-related, I uh, consider myself an, an HR fanatic. I, I really enjoy what HR can contribute to organizations. So uh, what, I, what I currently am I'm engaged in is I uh, work full-time at, at Children's Hospital, and that is as uh, one of the team members of the HR business partner team. So focusing a lot on um, just leadership support and everything that leaders might need to help create this, you know, concept of, of teams and really improve the employee experience to then have the ability to to work out a mission. And um, in addition to that, I, I kind of like, like I said, I'm an HR fanatic and, and I really love the possibilities that HR can bring to companies. So aside from the full-time job, I do a little bit of that on my on my own as well. Mm -hmm. Well, how much of a culture shock was it for you to go from all of those wonderful exotic places to Rochester, New York? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I will say yeah. that 
Yeah. Like the first thing that comes to mind is, of course, winters, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, the, the first winter was actually a fairly mild one. So I thought everyone was just exaggerating. And I was like, this is not too bad. But then the second winter was not just intense where you had to shovel your driveway three times a day. It was also long. It was winter all the way into March, early April. And and that was a bit that was a bit of a, a culture shock in the sense of that people were just, you know, people made that their normal way of life. And, and it was challenging for me. And of course, there's other things that, that was uh, interesting in terms of uh, culture differences. But that's the the winter is the first thing that sticks, sticks out, you know, sticks out if you talk about differences. I love how you describe kind of like all of who you are, but I also picked up a, a sentence from your LinkedIn profile, I believe it was, I am a global citizen, a hip hop fanatic, an avid writer, an eternal optimist. Tell me about those things and how you describe yourself. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the global citizen uh, is certainly what I just kind of talked a bit about. Uh, lived in, in many different places and uh, consider me, myself as being part of many different cultures, but it's hard to really assign one specific nationality to what my identity is. Uh, and I think I kind of picked different pieces up along the way. And so from that lens, often when people ask me, so where were you born? Well, the answer is Indonesia. Then like, what's your nationality? Well, the answer is Dutch. But it's even like in my early, early years, it's like going, going to college and, and high school even, where when I was in, you know, like going from the Netherlands to Belgium, everyone heard my accent, thought I was Dutch. And then a couple of years in, when I went from Belgium back to Netherlands, everyone heard my accent. I thought I was Flemish. So <laughs> it's never really just like one culture or, or um, you know, nationality that I've ascribed to. And I think I've, I've you know, my accent certainly uh, kind of gives it away. The Rochester A is, is starting to infiltrate in it too. So it's a bit of this, you know, mishmash of everything. And I kind of made it my own. And, and so I don't really necessarily have just one thing that I, that I pull from or that I identify with, but it's a, little bit of a combination of everything and other than you know just that global citizen like thing that i i you know identify with kind of think that i've done the same thing with just my my life in general i um grew up loving hip-hop you know i was an avid you know skateboarder we had our own like little hip-hop group where my brother and i were part of and then a couple of friends and uh, we we never really you know made it big or anything, but it was such a, a fun hobby and such a learning experience to just go on stage, present yourself, even though you were terrified, and and you know just the, the writing of the lyrics. Where I feel like I've there's been a lot of things that I've learned from that I still apply in 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 what I do today, whether it is public speaking, but also this whole idea of of you know building self confidence and. Uh, one specific thing from, you know, my, my background in hip hop, other than just, you know, still loving hip hop as soundtrack to major portions of my life, I um, took a lot of the creative writing that I still do now. So um, obviously back then it was lyrics. And as a teenager, you can imagine those lyrics weren't necessarily always substantial of, of any sorts, but it developed a passion for writing and it developed a passion for kind of making sense of the world through putting words on paper. And so nowadays, what I, uh, where I still use that is I, I still love spoken word poetry. So I still 
uh, write a lot of spoken word poetry, but now with more of a lens on the, the work that I do. So the, the concept of businesses and the concepts of, you know, the employee experience within those businesses. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually turned into a book that you published. How long ago was that? Tell us about the book. Yeah, it it, it did. So it it started a long time ago. Like like I said, I've been writing uh, pretty much my my entire life ever since I was in in that that hip hop group, and that evolved into organizing events. But then still, always been writing for myself. Uh, most of the, the the poems that I captured eventually in a book, um, some of them started you know several years ago, and then some of them I, I wrote recently. But with uh, the pandemic starting, obviously all our lives kind of turned upside down. So with you know, being inside and and not necessarily going out and and about and being with friends and family, it's kind of, you know, allowed me to fill my days in a little bit differently. Um, But more importantly, I had even more than ever before the need to capture kind of my experience and try to make sense of this world that didn't make sense at all. And the best way for me to do that was through writing. So I really uh, wrote even more uh, than I had before, and kind of, you know, like like being even more merged in that during the pandemic, had it all kind of come together in this book. So um, eventually, I um, put it all together and, and published it about, I think about like a year and a half ago now. And uh, the book is titled Poetry at the Heart of Business. And it's, yeah, like like the subtitle says, it's a collection of spoken word poetry that really explores these concepts that I am really, you know, like interested and fascinated, uh, fascinated by, which is these concepts of company culture and then the employee experience, especially the sense of belonging within company cultures. Uh, again, that theme really came from the pandemic because I felt like there was such a, a focus on what does, you know, the employee experience mean? What does belonging at a company that is now so turned upside down truly mean? Sure. Well, do you use the poetry either in your book or the concept of that in your work that you do with the hospital? Um, I do. So I, I use it in uh, at, at the hospital, but I also use it um, kind of in my in my own you know in my own life. So I've always considered this my passion project, just because I'm passionate about it. And at one point, I thought that other people might enjoy it as well, and that's where the book came about. Uh, and so far, I've received really, really good responses. And I think one of the themes of responses that I'm hearing from both talking about it, you know, at work and 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 that, you know, work community as well as outside in the HR community is that we've all had these similar experiences during the pandemic, but at the same time, they were also all very individualistic. There's no one experience that was identical. And we can obviously talk about, you know, research and all of those things that kind of put a, a, a frame and a you know, like a concept around what we collectively went through as a civilization, but it's really those stories that make it come to life. So a lot of what poetry is, is storytelling. It is kind of using a certain art form and and often either the first or the third person narrative to explain an, an experience that might be very trivial, but it has a deeper meaning to it. And I felt like once I started telling those, it's very similar to storytelling. It made these concepts and feelings that people had come to life and, and that felt like it, it resonated. So I, I still do quite a bit with it. Like I said, in my, in my, in my both, you know, work as well as outside of work, I focus a lot on just kind of leadership support and even more so than ever before, a lot of this, that is around change management. So Within change management, I think there's a ton of opportunities to include stories 
to talk about, you know, different parables and, and uh, examples to have it come to life. You have an example of where that's that's come to life in your work, um, where you've been able to help people through the change management or to understand how to do it by thinking creatively. Yeah. So um, the the one specific example I have is when I when I provide kind of leadership sessions or or even you know retreats or a summit, I like to have leaders also be be you know creative in how they think about problems. So of course. There's the approach that I often have is, is, you know, like if you think about what what individuals need to kind of wrestle through thoughts to walk away with, you know, like rejuvenate, you know, rejuvenation, more energy to kind of tackle the problems that are ahead of us, uh, but also with some inspiration of how to specifically do that. I think it's always a combination of like the mind and the heart, right? There are certain things that our mind craves, like we need some examples, some framework, like give us our next steps right like how do we go about doing this but we can't skip over the fact that we also need to have this connection with the heart and um, that's where i think arts in general and poetry specifically can can really help with so um, sometimes what i would ask is you know like i i, I would you know like introduce a concept with the poem for instance but then really ask them you know like what's the okay what's the story that's an easy answer but then what does that really evoke with you when you listen to it. And, and then you kind of get a little bit deeper. So yes, you hear the story and the logical steps of, you know, for instance, a character that goes through, goes through, uh, you know, different events, but then what does that, you know, what does that evoke with you? You get to the heart of it, the emotions. And what I've noticed resonate really well with people is um, they love to write poetry themselves. And, uh, you know, it can be as simple as a haiku. Um, everyone can write a haiku. And having people engage in a haiku and you put a theme to it, for instance, you know, share a haiku that encourages and empowers your team as we walk away from, from this, you know, retreat or summit, uh, you'd be surprised how creative people are. I'm I'm often surprised at how creative people are, but I wonder if I could even write a haiku. Maybe I should challenge myself to do that. <laughs> Our brains work differently. Well, do you use and you you do some speaking uh, both outside of uh, your work is, as well? Do you use either hip hop or music or poetry with the speaking that you do? A little bit. Now, I, I, I do know, Jennifer, that you have a background and, and you've been uh, instrumental in putting up Disruptive HR in Philadelphia. So I, um, I was able to, uh, present and, you know, do one of those sessions there, which for everyone listening, it is worth, uh, trying, uh, it will push you out of your comfort zone and it is way more challenging than you would think it is. I love to talk. I love to have these conversations to have something so structured where your slides move <laughs> at a steady pace and you have limited time was really putting me, putting myself out of my comfort zone. But what I was able to kind of incorporate in the last part was a little bit of, you know, some, some, some spoken word poetry, you know, like including some rhymes and some, some of the, uh, you know, things that I, I presented. And I, I felt like that, that resonated well, right. It's, you know, we're, we're sometimes trying to make HR too heavy because we have an important task, but just because we have an important task doesn't mean we can have some fun with it along the way. And I felt like the Swap HR was the perfect venue to do that. And ever since I've written some things that are, um, you know, like they're suitable for reading, but they're even better for like listening. And there's some, you know, like what we often call it in, uh, in hip hop, which, you know, obviously doesn't originate in hip hop, like 
hip hop is, is, you know, capturing a lot of things from other cultures and then making it into their own thing. But it's the call and response concept where if you would say something and then, you know, the audience has the, has this response to that thing that you say, I've been kind of working around with those type of things as well. Like they can still be read on pages, but they're, they're even more coming, you know, to this like sense of community, uh, with those call and response uh, concepts that that poetry often has. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll link to your Disrupt HR talks and shout out again to the Disrupt HR Philadelphia organizers. They do a great job with their events. But uh, what your first talk that you gave at a Disrupt HR event was called Turns Out You Can Fix Stupid. And I have watched it, but why don't you tell us how we can fix stupid? Yeah, some, some people seem hopeless. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, Great question. And so, so actually funny story, I was, um, I just completed that talk. And then a a little bit after that, I started looking for, for another job. And one of the interviewers um, that were one of the companies that I interviewed for, I I went through the process and the last step was to talk with the CEO and was a good conversation. And um, he started talking about the vision for his company. And he was saying, I want to explore the blue ocean strategy. And, and for those that don't know it, blue ocean strategy is kind of the strategy of saying, find, you know, there, there's so much ocean, right? Find a niche within that ocean where there is still a hole, where there's a client need that is not being met yet. And then you offer, you know, those services or you offer those, those goods. My talk was actually counter to this concept of blue ocean strategy. Um, it ended up being, you know, a funny joke because I did just call it out and he said, yes, I did see your talk as well. And we were able to talk it through and, and come, you know, like ha- had a more of a common understanding of what the vision was than, than we originally would have thought considering those two opposite themes. But in HR, I think we're often also kind of looking for this blue ocean strategy where we're looking at like, what's this next new thing that is out there that we can, you know, use to help improve our experience, improve engagement, you know, reduce turnover, whatever it is that your objectives are. And I think the challenge with that is we often kind of tend to chase these hypes and themes, right? I, I, kind of jokingly, because by now we all know this, but we kind of jokingly call out this concept of, you know, like ping pong tables and such. It was this significant hype to have, you know, kombucha on tap, ping pong tables, because that would help with your employee experience and your retention. And I'm not mocking it in the sense that it doesn't have a place, but if you're only chasing that new hype of like, what else is out there within the HR world, let me bring that into my company and therefore I will fix the employee problem. I think that's a a wrong idea. So when I kind of started thinking about that, I I really kind of thought about how we're better off really dissecting what it is that our, you know, our, our company cultures are facing and then what's broken, right? So you can do so much with fixing things and including people that might not think that, you know, like what they do is wrong or including people that might think that, you know, like you have to start, start over every single time something is broke. I think it's a bit that disposable culture. Like if you just turn your, you know, turn your attention inward and figure out what's broken and you start fixing those things, the return on, 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 you know, like the experience of the employees, the culture of a company and the alignment with the company's mission can be such you know, such a powerful effort in, in HR helping a company and often, you know, a more long lasting impact than just following that next shiny penny. Sure. 
Well, do you have a favorite poem from your book or maybe one you've written more recently that you could share with us to kind of help us see how this can add some creativity to our own lives and how we approach work? I, I do have something. Yeah. So I was, I was, um, this morning I was kind of going through it and, and, uh, this one poem it's titled what if, um, from, from my book is actually something that, um, I've written a while ago, but I, I went back to it and I, and I especially need to go back to it now during the summer. Um, so as a, a big of a, a bit of like a, a background story, most of the poems that I write on are mostly inspirational for me in the sense that, I don't follow them, but I want to follow them. So it's advice that I give myself through my own writing. So when I reread it, I, I recognize the fact that I still need to do better. And, and this poem, What If, I think is appropriate for the summer months because um, I love being productive. And, and I think that's one of my strengths, right? I can I could do a lot of things in a very short period of time. But I've also realized if that's the only, you know, tool in my tool belt, I will burn myself out and I won't be as impactful as I think I am. I am also like I'm an eternal optimist, like I shared, but I'm also an overthinker. Um, so that combination is, you know, can be interesting. And, and again, talking about that advice that I need to, you know, need to follow myself more so than I need to give others is I tend to follow the shiny penny as well. And I tend to think about, well, if I choose one thing, uh, what about all those other things that I'm not choosing? And the the book that I read that kind of inspired this was by uh, Fred Kaufman. And uh, Fred Kaufman had this quote where, you know, he talks about the opportunity cost. And the opportunity cost is, is the value of the best option not pursued. Um, so we have to make choices and just getting stuck in this what if can can sometimes be challenging. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to read that poem. Absolutely. Sure. All right. Friday night ruminations, Saturday plagued by weighing what ifs, Sunday morning contemplation, Monday hits like a brick. I have an opportunity, but it's going to cost me. The opposite is also calling, possibly even more awesome what it offers me. I would like to know more. Analysis paralysis is all I have to show for. I've been thinking a lot lately. See, the basics are deceivingly easy. Don't let it fool you. I've been contemplating them rigorously. Let me school you on how my thoughts amaze me when they launch the maze. See, generally speaking, I am too busy seeing things from different perspectives. But when the weekend hits, my inner dialogue sees it fit to kinder these smoldering, smoldering, smoldering ambers amidst my neglected efforts. I am truly blessed with options. Yet when I get ready to reset, they present my conscience with every what if I could possibly conjure up instead. What if I would work through the weekends? Will I get caught up? What if I start every morning with whipped cream and my coffee, just a dollar? What if I hadn't sent that smarky, snarky email under pressure? What if I just disappear? Would I avoid having to fess up to my wrongdoings altogether? What if... I was born into a family of brokers and bookkeepers. Would I follow family tradition or become eccentric like a pipe-smoking beekeeper? What if I'm not where I'm supposed to be? And before I know it, I've blown through a perfectly good weekend with nothing to show for, unbeknownst to me. Friday night ruminations, Saturday plagued by weighing what-ifs, 
Sunday morning contemplations. Monday hits like a brick. I have an opportunity, but it's going to cost me. The opposite is also calling, possibly even more awesome what it offers me. I would like to know more. Analysis paralysis is all I have to show for. Oh, and your your voice lends to that as most spoken word poets do. So, wow, I'm sitting there going, well, I do that too. So <laughs> I see how your work causes us to think about our own lives and uh, how we lead and how we interact with people in the world. So that's exciting. Well, share with me where, uh, share with us, not just me, where we can find more about you, maybe get access to the book if people are interested in reading some of your poems to reflect on their own life, et cetera. Yeah. So the the best way to get a hold of me is, uh, or, or to learn more about kind of what I write about is through my website, which is levelupcoachingconsulting.com. Uh, that is levelupcoachingconsulting.com. And if you don't want to go to that website, but you want to just kind of connect on LinkedIn, that is definitely the other best place to to, to look for me. And um, that is just my my full name. It is arendt.bursama. Or if you click in Arendt Bursama in Philadelphia, I am pretty sure I'm the only one that will show up. Are you are you the only one in the world if we go to LinkedIn? <laughs> so not in the world. It is actually a pretty common Dutch name, just not on, on this side of the ocean. Okay, well, we'll be sure to look for the one in Philadelphia. And of course, we'll link up to those things in the show notes. Final question for you. Favorite hip hop artist in our song? Oh, favorite hip hop artist? Oof. I didn't yeah, realize really, this was a difficult question. It really <laughs> is because there's there's so much to it. So I, I I like I like the lyrics, right? So I always have to kind of you know evaluate: is it you know is it the the, the wordplay? Is it the cadence? Is it just the, the messaging? So that's that's actually not as easy as the as the question sound. But I will throw one of my favorites out there, um, or I'll actually I'll throw two of my favorites out there. Um, I'll allow it. <laughs> I, 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 I still, I still think that, um, you know, Jay-Z is, is definitely one of the best lyricists and obviously was, was capable of really making an empire out of it. Uh, uh, maybe lesser known person that I've admired since I started listening to hip hop would be Talib Kweli. And that's mostly for, um, yep, it's T-A-B-I-L or um, T-A-L-I-B, sorry, uh, last name K-W-E-L-I. And um, certainly a, a bit more on the ground, but fairly mainstream. And again, his, his lyricism is something that I aspire to, but also his messaging is, uh, is, is, is powerful and, 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 you know, changes, I believe, the way the culture looks at itself, which, which uh, you know, again, something I aspire to do. Interesting. Well, I like a little hip hop myself, so I'm definitely familiar with Jay-Z, but I might look up Talib Kweli as well and see what I can learn from his lyrics. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today to learn more about how we can apply art into our leadership and our work. And I look forward to reading more of your poems in your book and continuing to follow you online. So thanks for joining me, Aaron. I hope you have a great day. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. And uh, yeah, I, I hope you have a great day as well. And we'll, we'll stay connected to talk more about art. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.